You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Good morning, Kensington. My name is Tara. I'm one of the worship leaders around here. Would you stand as we glorify our God? You have a way of taking disappointment, making it an anthem of hope. You have a way of opening the promise, even when the door is still closed. It's what you do.
Good morning and welcome to Kensington. We're so glad that you're here with us today, whether that is in person or online. My name is Taylor Leal and I am the Early Childhood Director at the Troy Campus. And yes, it is true. I have the best job in the entire church because I get to see the awe and wonder of our littlest people when they learn about Jesus and how he wants to be their friend forever. I'm sure this goes without saying, but parents, it literally does take a village, doesn't it? And honestly, it takes a mid-sized village to accomplish all the things we do in kids on a Sunday morning as well. There are small group leaders, early childhood teachers, elementary teachers, one-on-one buddies for children with special needs. We have a team who prepares crafts and games in our curriculum during the week and so much more. We would love, love, love to have you join this village or team that serves our next generation. It's really fun and fulfilling, guys. I can assure you of that. Listen to my friend Joshua from from our Birmingham campus as he shares his experience in volunteering with us in K-Kids. I always try to think of, of what does a childlike faith look like, kind of what God, what God calls us to have is a childlike faith. And to see it firsthand, it's, it's one of the most re- rewarding experiences. Going to church my entire life, never thought I would uh, do much more than sit in service, enjoy, and leave. And, and I found such a, such a newfound joy uh, with interacting with the kids and seeing their faith develop, seeing their social interaction develop. Just watching the kids learn new songs, watching the kids interact with each other and kind of build new social circles within that, whether they go to different schools, whether they go to different areas, just seeing them form these new friendships and knowing that these are the type of friendships that you really want to foster long-term, you're not worried. You know, whether it's just, these are not just church people that you're seeing, but it's something that you're encouraged to see, you know, my sons, my family grow within their church group uh, is extremely important and really growing that community. I I think you never know who you're going to impact and you never know what kids 20 years from now are going to remember something that they were told uh, back at their Sunday school experience. So that really motivates me, but that also surprises me that something I might say one week, um, six months later, they might bring it up randomly and talk about how it applied to their lives. I think God has shown me personally that just to be a good listener, to be a patient and active listener, sometimes just letting kids talk, letting kids get out their version of how they interpreted a story, uh, is very exciting to see that. Like I said before, watching their faith develop, watching uh, the joy develop within them, um, it's something that you really can't find in any any other volunteer activity, any other area than seeing it firsthand with kids. Uh, as they grow, it's been it's been extremely awesome that way. This is time uh, that becomes eternal. It's it's time that's that's fantastic and time that is not only personally rewarding, uh, but eternally rewarding for those children uh, down the road. So I would I would just encourage anybody thinking about it uh, to jump into a role like this. Just show up, even if you don't think you have the talent, even if you don't have kids, you don't have the abilities. Just show up and be there for those kids, and that's something that uh, you truly will feel like you're doing God's work in that way. So don't dismiss yourself if you don't know the Bible that well, or if you can't sit cross-legged on the floor anymore, we get it. You have something unique and special to give, and you may impact a life or several eternally. This is such a privilege, so join us, join the K-Kids team. All you have to do is go to kensingtonchurch.org forward slash serve and search for opportunities at your specific campus. Okay, now back to our service. We are in week two of our series called Go, and today we're going to hear about this idea of church planning. It's something we're really passionate about because it's so important in spreading the good news of Jesus here and around the world. Are you ready? 
let's go. Here's what I love about that song is I think that God has a one day desire in his own heart. Like a one day, this could be a reality. And I think it's everything about what this series is about. And I think the one day desire of the heart of God is that one day, every corner of this earth will have the chance to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that there is a God, that Jesus is in fact his name, and that he is wild about all of us. He proved it in his incarnation becoming one of us, established it in his death, secured it in his resurrection, and that one day every nation, every tribe, and every tongue 
will have a chance to hear that message. I believe that that's true of the heart of God. And, and that's really what I think is so powerful about that song that we sang. By the way, I don't know if you know who the artist is. Any guesses? Anybody know who that artist is of that song? You do? No, close. It sounds like Bob Marley. If you can tell me by the end of the service who that is, 50 bucks. You just have to email Danny Cox at kensingtonchurch.com to get it. <laughs> it is Modest Yahoo. Absolutely. Hey, welcome to Orion this morning. If you're tuning in online, uh, you are here with us at the Orion campus. One of the things I love about Kensington is we are one church in multiple locations, and those aren't just physical locations. That's your location, wherever you're at right now. As a matter of fact, here's what I'm gonna ask all of you to do in the room, just to show that we believe that we are one church. Would you just celebrate everybody? Watch us online. Let them know we're glad you're here. Here is, here is part of what I have been praying for all morning long for all of us, uh, is that God would just grab our attention in the next hour of time. That whatever you've come in here with, it might be a distraction to you, whether it's something good or something bad or something you're excited about later in the day, whatever it is, is that for the next little bit of time, that distraction would be gone for you. I, I, will just, I will tell you in all honesty, I am fighting one of those. I shared with the first service this morning. I pulled out of my driveway uh, on my way here, my brain is just packed with all kinds of thoughts about today, about tomorrow, about things I've got to do later this afternoon. I kid you not, I turned my truck, my new lease to the left, and I just raked the whole front end down my son's car from front to end. And I'm like, what did I just do? Like, it's supposed to be him making those mistakes, calling me and apologizing. And I'm on text message this morning, like, oh, I'm sorry, I hit your car. It's like all morning, like my whole brain is just, I could feel, I could feel the distraction try to pull me that direction, thinking about it and what I've got to do this week and how I have to handle it. And I would just bet you're the same. And here's why I hope that whatever it is that's fighting for your attention this morning would be taken away is because this is more than a series for us. This is our heartbeat. Started last week, and we're going to wrap it up after four full weeks, but this series, it is our heartbeat. And I would tell you this series has really been birthed out of two desires for us. Desire number one is that we would begin to move with greater passion and commitment into the mission that God has given us. Didn't just give his disciples. Started there, and it has moved down across continent, across ocean, across time to the possession of us. It is our mission, a mission that's summed up in the one word that is this series. It is the word go. It is the belief that for those of us that are followers of Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus is more than just to come to him. That's only part of it. It is come to him like we talked about last week, but when you come and see and begin to walk in rhythm with him, he then says, now go, go and tell. Tell what? To come and see. And so part of the desire of this series is that we would find within us a passion growing to a whole new fervor, to be men and women that are committed to the mission that God has given us, realizing it is not a mission that is just given to people that take stages. It is a mission given to all of us that believe Jesus is Lord and we're trying to follow him. But here's the other desire that this series is born out of. It's a desire to establish with all of us a greater awareness and affection for our newest global partnership, the Timothy Initiative. So back in December, we introduced you to what we call TTI sometimes. You might hear that phrase or the Timothy Initiative. Uh, last week, we began to introduce you even deeper by showing you some stories of some of our partners in northern India and Nepal and some of the church plants that they're doing there. So we're going to take another minute this morning, and I'm going to turn it over to the screen and just, again, let you meet one of our partners who has been reached through the Timothy Initiative, trained, and is now working to reach other people in the region he's in. 
So here's our newest partner. Hey, Kensington. Hey, so back in December, we all learned about our newest global partner, the Timothy Initiative in Northern India. Now, this partner is a little bit different than our other 10 partners, because with our other partners, there's both a specific location and a specific point person. For example, in Kenya, it's Julius. In India, it's Jaya. In Nepal, it's Ramesh, and, and so on and so forth. But with this new relationship being formed, it's more with a partnership with an organization. I can tell you in all honesty, we are thrilled about the partnership with the Timothy Initiative. They are passionate about spreading the good news of Jesus through discipleship making and church planning, which for me being the church planning director here makes me even more excited about it. So I wanna do my best in the next minute to tell you though what that means. So let me start with a disciple. A disciple is simply a student. It's a learner of a teacher, a leader, a, of a philosopher. And so in this case, it's somebody who's learning the teachings and the practices of Jesus. But they're not only learning the ways of Jesus, they're actually living them out. But it doesn't end there. Because as they start living them out and the learnings that they're taking into their own life and they become more like Jesus, they also then move towards planting churches. Now you might hear that phrase a couple of times around here, both in general and certainly during this series. Church planning simply means starting a church. When a seed's planted in the ground, over time, we know this, it becomes a plant. It's the same thing for a church. A few disciples plant a church, and then over time, God grows that seed into his church that becomes a place of hope, love, healing in that community. That's why we believe church planning is so vitally important. With the Timothy Initiative, you're gonna hear three names from the Bible, Paul, Timothy, and Titus. And I'm gonna make an assumption that probably a lot of us have heard about Paul or St. Paul. He's credited with writing 13 books in the New Testament and frankly, planning most of the churches that we read about. But then there's Timothy and Titus as well. These are guys that spent years with Paul. They learned the ways of Jesus through Paul's teachings and through his lifestyle as well. And then they traveled with him to all kinds of places throughout the region and together started churches. They were disciples and they were church planners. So right now we're gonna hear a story that frankly is like thousands of others, but it's a story of someone that's discovered a relationship with Jesus because of the work that God is doing through our newest global partner. My name is Jatinder Kumar and I come from a Hindu family who strictly followed our forefathers' traditions and rituals. I lost my father at a young age and was affected deeply by the sudden loss. I was depressed, lost, and angry. Soon after, my mother became sick. I took her to different hospitals for treatment, visited temples, offered sacrifices and prayers, but her condition remained the same. I became frustrated and did not understand why this was happening. Things in my home were also bad. My house was in chaos. My brothers were alcoholics and there was no peace in the home, ever. To get some peace for myself, I started drinking. The drinking became more frequent and then a regular part of my life. It was out of control. I'm a barber by profession, but I spent half of my earnings on alcohol and this affected the economic condition of the house. There was no hope. One day, Vishal John went to my shop for a haircut. Vishal noticed that I was very upset and gloomy and upon asking me the reason, I told Vishal everything that happened and what I was going through. After hearing my story, Vishal grabbed the opportunity and shared his story, followed by God's story and invited me to church 
I was afraid and uncertain of his church community, so I did not go. But some days later, Vishal met me again and told me that the whole church family was praying for me. I wasn't sure what this meant, but I was moved by their concern for me and my family. One day, I decided to visit the church. I was very nervous and not sure what to expect. During the church service, I began to feel a sense of peace that I have never had before. Slowly, my mother's condition began improving and I was convinced that Jesus alone is the true God. Two weeks later, I prayed to Jesus and said I was sorry for all that I had done and accepted him as my personal savior. After years of remorse, I came to Jesus for deliverance. Jesus truly set me free, gave me a purpose for living, and even healed my mother after 10 years. I was so grateful. I am growing in my faith by regularly attending church services and meeting with other believers in Jesus. Today I accompany Vishal and share my story with as many people as possible. I pray that they find the one true God, Jesus Christ, just as I have. One of the things that's so powerful about what the Timothy Initiative is doing is where they're focusing in northern India and Nepal. They're in regions that historically have been very opposed to Christianity and to churches, uh, even violently opposed. But there is a passion that they are tapping into of people, a desperation of people. And they're sensing and seeing that God is moving. One of the things that we do sometimes is we get this wrong. We think that we bring God to people and we don't realize that God's already there. He brings us. He brings us into what he's doing. And one of the things the Timothy Initiative has done has just really identified a region where God is moving. And so they're moving in to partner and to do whatever it is that God tells them to do. And as he is leading them and leading this organization, they are just seeing unbelievable stories. And we're going to continue to see more and more of those throughout this series. But one of my hopes is, as we do, is that it doesn't just give us an affection for India and Nepal and what God's doing through the Timothy Initiative, but that it gives us an inspiration for what it is he longs to do through us as well. That this isn't simply a work over there that God is about. It is a work that he is calling you and I into as well. And I really believe as we lean into this work that we're not just going to see what God wants us to do as we partner up with India, but what God wants us to do right here in our own neighborhoods, in our own backyards. But over the next couple of weeks, some of what we're going to do is start kind of unpacking what it looks like for us to really have a partnership with the Timothy Initiative. And that's going to mean more than just a partnership with the organization of Kensington. We're Kensington. Right? The church is the people, which means I think the partnership will thrive best when we own this partnership. And so here's how we're really kind of moving towards that. Uh, we're going to be throughout the course of this series, really even starting today, is inviting you to start considering what it looks like for you, your family, uh, maybe you as an individual, maybe you rallying a team together to start to be a part of helping planning, planning churches in the regions that the Timothy Initiative is operating. You go, how do we plant churches? Well, here's what's incredible about TTI, is they have put together a process now from training 
the Tituses to the Timothys who launched churches to the Paul, like the process of training these men and women and training these church planners and launching them, they have gotten it down to, you ready for this? $300 per church plant. For 300 bucks, they can plant a church, which is mind-boggling and unbelievable. One of the hats that I wear here at Kensington are the church plants that we do domestically. And to try and think about planting a church for 300 bucks, I'm like, there's just, I, there's no way. But there is a way, and they've figured out how to do it. And so what we have done is we've really put part of our money where our mouth is in terms of some of our deep-seated values that we believe in, which is we're better together. That when we lock arms, we can get far more done and far more accomplished than we can on our own. And so we're doing that even outside of the walls of Kensington. We have partnered up with six other churches in the metro Detroit area to take on a goal of raising $1 million to plant ultimately 3,333 churches in northern Nepal and India. And so part of what we're going to be doing through the course of that partnership and trying to raise that money is, number one, believing that we're going to be able to do it better together than we could independently, but also inviting you into that as well. And really beginning to invite you to ask yourself, how is it that you could, as a family, as a couple, as a person, whatever it is, whatever you want to rally around you to start planting churches as well and step into this commitment? And here, here's what's so exciting. I shared this with the first service. I just learned this today. Through the pineapple mayhem that our kids' ministry is doing the last couple of weeks, they've been raising money with the boys and the girls. It's kind of a competition thing. Some of you know that because your kids have been a part of it. They've been begging for all your spare change. That spare change is going to go towards the Timothy Initiative, and the estimates already look like what they're beginning to raise will probably plant a couple of churches just from K-Kids. Like, how incredible is that? So I really believe that not only is the million dollars, not only is it possible, I think we're going to exceed it. I think we're going to blow it out of the water. I think this is going to be a watershed moment. And so here's what I would just invite you to do, is I would love for you when the service is over sometime today or in the next couple of days to go to kensingtonchurch.org slash plant, and you're going to be able to read more about the Timothy Initiative, our partnership, and even what it looks like for you to begin to step into personal commitment to seeing more and more of these churches, to being a part of what is our commitment at Kensington to that 3,000. Because I don't think I mentioned this yet. Of the 3,333 churches that we're trying to plant with this collaboration of six churches, we personally at Kensington are taking on 1,000 of them. So we're going to need you and your help to get that done. But I'm absolutely convinced that not only are we going to get it done, we're going to exceed it. So here's what I'd love to do for the next couple of minutes. I just want to pray and ask that God would be the one who speaks for the rest of the morning very clearly to us and that it would be his heart that we start to get uh, on what it means for us to be a church committed to church planning. Father, I just come before you and acknowledge Jesus as incarnate, crucified, resurrected, author of life. And I pray that you, Jesus, who says to us, that there only needs to be a few of us gathered together in your name to bring your presence in a unique way into that place. I pray and acknowledge that I believe you're here. And I do believe that you speak. And I do believe that you've given us the capacity and ability to hear. And I even believe that while we're all coming from different places, God, that you have the ability to grab each of us where we're at right now in only the tender way that you can and to speak and to give to us what it is that we need today. But I'm asking that in the next little bit of time that you would own this stage, this morning, this room, that you would keep us from distraction, that you would lean our hearts in to what your heart beats most for, which is that men and women would know that they were made in your image and likeness 
and that you love us so much that you gave yourself up for us? Would we not just find ourselves captivated by that affection, but would we find ourselves captivated by the mission to bring that affection to every single square inch of this world? For the sake of Jesus and in his name I pray, amen. So one of the things that's important to us as a community is a moment of just receiving up our offerings. So we're gonna, we're gonna do that really quickly. And just wanna continue to remind you, I say this a lot. Matter of fact, I'm gonna see if you remember if I've said it enough. The moments where we take up our offering, it's not about money, it's about three of you remember. Thank you, I feel so good. It's about mission. It is about mission. I, I really would say it's about two things. These moments for us are about mission and trust. It is about us stepping into the mission God's called us into and it's also about trust. Frankly, saying, yeah, I'm gonna trust you with what I have. I'm gonna put some of it back towards you that I believe God's given all of it to us to begin with, but it's still a moment of trust. So if you're a part of that with us or if you wanna step into that with us, here's how we do it here at Kensington. We don't pass anything, but you can text it in. You can use our app. That's probably the quickest way to do it or go online. For those of you that like to contribute like tactically, you can put that in uh, receptacles on your way out the door. Not tactically, tactile is what I meant. Or you could do it tactically, I guess. You could roll around and you could slam it in. So, um, and I just also, here's what's really exciting. It's moments like this are what fuel some of the individuals I'm gonna be able to invite up later on this morning and introduce you to a couple of local church planners that we have the privilege of being able to join and partner up with what God is doing in their areas and through their lives and through their determination to go. And these are the kind of moments that let us do that. So, just want to say thank you as always. All right, so to kick it off, here's what I want to do. I want to have a little bit of a Thursday flashback. So August 14th, 2003. Anybody know what happened? Oh, yeah, this. That was the year of the great blackout. All right. It's funny, the planning, they're like, wait, you want to clap and what? I'm like, yeah, I want to clap, like, clap on, clap off. Don't you get it? So if you remember that, if you don't remember that, I don't know where you were. Actually, my son wouldn't remember that because you were just a baby at that point. But 2003 is when the lights went out. Some people, it was only for a couple of hours. Most people for a few days. Uh, I think the most, it was some people were four or five days without any kind of power or electricity. Uh, I think the numbers, if I remember accurately, were in Ontario, there was about 10 million people that lost power. Uh, in the U.S., I believe it was around 45 million people lost power. Uh, that spread over eight different states. There were, I believe, 250 different power plants that as a result were shut down. And so after the whole thing was done and over, as you imagine, there was a big investigation, what happened? And throughout the course of that investigation, here's what was fascinating. There were four events that kind of dominoed that they believe were what caused the, the loss of all the power. Of those four events, there was one single event that started everything off. I don't know how many of you know this. I didn't know this until I looked the story up a couple of years ago, but I think it has so much bearing on what I want to talk about today. It was a tree branch. It was one single overgrown tree branch. There's a company called First Energy that was responsible for this one particular area to trim all the trees back, and there was one that they missed. I don't know if they hadn't gotten to it yet. I don't know if they saw it and were like, ah, it's not a big deal or how it happened, but there was a branch that should have been trimmed and it wasn't and it snapped and it fell and it dominoed everything. In an instant, one simple little branch thrust over 50 million people back into the Stone Age. And I remember when I first heard that, and I still think the same thing today, that it makes me think about our own lives. And the reality that so often in our lives, and some of you know this, some of you are sitting in a moment like this right now, because it's not always good. Sometimes it's bad. 
where sometimes the simplest of decisions have the ability to just domino into unbelievable impact and outcome. And I think that God wants our lives to be that way. That our lives would be lived to such a way that it would have unbelievable impact in this world. Matter of fact, I would even go on to say that your life does have impact in this world. You go, not me, I'm an introvert. I don't even like to talk to people. I don't have any impact. Yes, you do. I think knowing that we have impact, the question is how much impact? Is it the impact I want to have? Can I change the impact I'm having? But I think when it comes to those of us that would describe ourselves as followers of Jesus, the question should be even more specific. Is my life having kingdom impact? Like, am I living a life that genuinely is leaving a mark for the kingdom of Jesus? Impact for the kingdom. One of my favorite authors and pastors is a guy named Francis Chan. Years ago, he made a statement that was kind of combating what for many of us is a deeply seated fear. It's the fear of failure. And I love the spin that he puts on the fear of failure. On your screen, this is what Francis says. He says, in in life, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Think about that. Like life can be lived to such a degree that failure doesn't matter if you're actually succeeding at things that don't matter. That could be worse. And I don't think that just applies to us as individuals. I think it can apply to us as a church. You can have a church that does all kinds of things that we would term successful that don't actually matter. It's possible to succeed at what doesn't matter. I want us to be a church that succeeds at what matters and excels at what matters. I want us to be a church that's much like that branch that fell, that through the efforts of trying to serve and love Jesus and the communities around us, we would be the branch that spawns a domino effect of impact, the likes of which we could have never imagined. But to do that, you have to ask, well, what matters then? Because what matters puts us on the trajectory to have that kind of impact. Two places towards the end of Jesus' life before he went back to heaven and after the crucifixion and resurrection, I think he gives clear indication as to what is the heartbeat of what matters. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, he says this, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some still doubted. And then Jesus came to them and he said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, say the word, go. Go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, in the book of Acts, that's at the end of the Gospels, the Gospels are the collection of books that are exclusively about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then is Acts, that's after Jesus. It's all about the disciples and what they did. But at the beginning of Acts, you still have Jesus on the planet, and he's still giving some of his last instructions. And what I love that you read in Acts 1.8 is he kind of takes this idea from Matthew, and he makes sure to be very clear here that we wouldn't misunderstand that when he says go, he doesn't mean just go where you want to go. He says go everywhere. So Acts 1.8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they were. Judea. Circle gets bigger. Samaria. And then he just takes it all away. And even to the ends of the earth. Jesus makes abundantly clear. Let me tell you what matters. That you would be a going people. Where? To the ends of the earth. And I think that going begins on a personal level. It's what we talked about last week. If you were with us, then you may remember. If you weren't, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to last week. 
The going starts on an individual level where when we respond to Jesus' invitation to personally come and see and then start to walk in rhythm with God, then he commissions us to go and tell. Who? Everybody. What? To come and see. And it becomes a cycle. I come and see, then I go and tell. And I go and tell to come and see. But it also extends beyond just a personal thing. I think this is a commission and a call that God gives us as groups, communities, as the church. And one of the ways that we do that is through church planning. That's why it probably isn't a mystery to you if you've been around Kensington any length of time that church planning is such a huge part of what we do and an enormous part of who we are. So for the next couple minutes, uh, I want you to watch a moment of Steve Andrews, our founding pastor, and myself just sharing a little bit about the history and the passion and really the importance of church planning. So there's a term that gets used in the church world quite a bit called church planting. So I want to take a minute and I want to explain what church planting actually is. It is taking the mission and the message of Jesus to a new location with a group of followers of Jesus starting a new expression of a community of faith. So here's what I want to do. I want to take you back to where we start to see the first movement of church planting begin. In the Bible, in the book of John chapter 1, this is what it says in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And then Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about the prophets and also Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is essentially where church planting started. And it's how every church plant starts. Every church plant is ultimately the beginning inception of an invitation to come and see and to follow. And then you bump over into the book of Acts, chapter 8, after Jesus has already ascended back to heaven. And you have the church undergoing some of its most intense persecution ever. And this is where church planning really begins to explode. In Acts 8, under the persecution of the Roman Empire, the church begins to scatter around the region. And everywhere the scattering church and Christians began to go, new expressions, new communities, new churches began to get planted. And here's what you may not realize. The only reason that Kensington exists is because we were a church plant. I was finishing seminary in uh, 1986, and the only job interview I got was with Wally Hostetter at Faith Church in Rochester. Wally, we were 250 people strong, and he goes, we're gonna reach 10,000 people in Oakland County, like you and me. I'm like, okay. And he says, and part of it, we're gonna do it, we're gonna build Faith Church, but we're gonna plant churches. Back then, people didn't start churches. Like if you, if you sent 30 or 40 people out from your church or 100 or five, everybody's like, wait a second, we're losing our people. And like Wally's like, no, this is the way we live. And he says, you're gonna be our first church plant. And that's how he hired me. So from the very first day of Kensington, one of the first messages in the first month that said, we're gonna live open-handedly. It was late, kind of the mid to late 90s. I was getting up early in the morning, going to breakfast real early. I was just like, Lord, what do you, what do you want us to do? And that's where I felt as clear as day, where I felt I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt like the Lord said, I want you to launch 40 multiplying churches by the year 2020 to reach 250,000 people. So where we are now, I'm sure we've had at least 40 of those churches multiply and we've lost count, track of all the hundreds of churches we've coached that weren't official Kensington church starts. Also didn't think about the influence Kensington would have, I would say, Kensington is a church that gives itself away. So in 1990, Kensington was established. 
launched, planted. And from then until now, we've actually planted 80 other churches. Many of those churches have gone on to plant other churches. And even some of those churches have gone on to plant other churches. And in some of our estimates, we think it's fair to say that those churches together and combined have reached several hundred thousand people with the message and the hope of Jesus. That puts us at a total presently of 97 churches. So let me tell you about where we are right now. Presently, we have seven different partnerships in varying stages of the plant process. Some of them are in the early stages of assessment. Some of them are literally in the process of launching right now. Some of them are just a little bit post-launch where they've opened their doors and they've gone public. One of the things that's unique about the community we serve is we are in the heart of Sin City. We are, uh, our church is just off the Las Vegas Strip. Las Vegas is a place, as you might imagine, where a lot of people's jobs are uh, involved in kind of the sin industry and uh, where people move here because of addictions and this city feeds addictions. So there's just a lot of people who are very um, hurting, but pretty uh, challenging place to start a church. But man, what better place to start a church than the heart of Las Vegas. Hey, Kensington, my name is Clint Dupin. My name is Michael Dupin. And we are so thankful for you. Um, Some of you know we launched, uh, or Kensington launched, a church plant in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, three years ago. We're a little over three years old. It's incredible to see what God is doing here in the Bay Area. It's tough. It's hard. And that's why we're so thankful for you and thankful for your support. Yeah, there's so many of you that encourage us, continue to pray for us. Um, And we are really right now praying for a facility um, because we can't meet in schools anymore and we're in the parking lot of another church. And so you can join us in that prayer. But we do see God doing incredible things. Um, Like he said, the new people that are coming in person joined in this online season and it's our first time getting to meet them face to face. Um, We had a baptism during COVID. We're getting ready to baptize a few more. And so we just see God at work in incredible ways and so we're so grateful for your support. So as a church planning director here at Kensington, I want to tell you why all of this matters and means so much to me. The first is honestly because you go back to Jesus and there was only ever two things that Jesus ever said he was going to build. One was eternity. It was literally when he said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. That's for us later. But the other was the church and that's for us now. Like the only other thing but eternity that he ever talked about building was the thing that he asked us to be and to do in this world to continue the mission that he started. Even one of the last conversations I had was a guy that looked at me a few weeks before Easter and said, this is nonsense. There's no way a dead man would come back to life. And I remember him staying with us for the next couple of weeks and listening and asking questions and challenging. And on Easter morning, walking up to me, just eyes loaded with tears and just said, I get it. This is the method that Jesus gave his followers to bring his hope, to bring his mission, to bring his love to the world. We have all kinds of stories all the time. We've seen hundreds of people come to faith. Uh, The first was a pimp who eight years later, seven, eight years later, became a pastor and just moved to Denver to plant a new church. That's been pretty awesome. And we're just grateful for God doing that through us and for you guys helping to make that happen. One of the things that we do here at Easttown is Alpha. And um, it's, it's awesome to watch people that have come through Alpha. Two weeks ago, we received this email, and it's a guy who walked into the Easttown doors um, almost a, over a year ago, a year and a half ago. And he went through Alpha, he chose to go through Alpha, and then just kind of fell off, like we didn't know really what happened to him. All of a sudden, two weeks ago, I get this email, wants to talk, and wants to take a step of baptism and explains... Um, his new life in Christ and how he's understanding it. 
So what marks a person starts a church? I'll tell you what's the, what the mark is. They don't care what it costs. And they know that whatever they sacrifice, they're never getting back. It's not. It's for Jesus. And it's for people to know how much Jesus loves them. This weekend, Clint, Mike, and Dupin will be meeting with a group of people in San Ramon, California. And I've met a lot of those people who had no idea that Jesus loved them. And if they hadn't gone, who would have told? You go to Communitas in New York and you see these homeless people who came to Christ, some of them after 30 years of drug addiction. How would they have known if Craig and Chris hadn't gone? It's the heart of the gospel where you, you give it all away, right? Jesus says, if a seed remains alone, it does nothing. But if it goes into the ground and dies, it bears incredible fruit. So it's that giving away of everything that God has given us. So I wanna take a minute, I wanna clarify some terms because I think words matter. And I wanna create a distinction between starting churches and planting churches. Uh, because I think that in distinguishing the two, it's going to give a little bit of a reflection of what our heart really is behind this, as well as some of our strategy. So this is not my idea. I took this actually from what's kind of like the, one of the Bibles of church planning by a guy named Peyton Jones, uh, Church Plantology. And this is what he writes, this distinction between starting and planting. And what we're about is planting. He says, if you're starting a church, you choose a sexy name. If you're planting a church, you begin with prayer. Here's the reason for the distinction is that the one starting says, we're going to tell you who we are. The other praying says, God, tell us who we are to be. It's a critical distinction. Uh, if you're starting a church, you design a cool logo. If you're planting a church, your focus is from beginning to end on one thing, bringing the gospel to people. If you're starting a church, you're gathering a group of Christians together. So this is kind of the, the build it and they will come, right? Feel the dreams. And that's what sometimes I think churches go into the church starting idea with is we're just going to get a place. We're going to open the doors and they'll just come through. And I don't think that's ever been how God has operated. I mean, Jesus himself, if we believe that the scriptures are true about what it says that he did, he came to us. He entered the rhythms of our community. It's called the incarnation, where he got up from his throne, moved in with skin on to our world. The heartbeat, and for us, the strategy behind church planning is not just get a place, open the doors, and they will come. It's get into the community. Go. It's always about the go. Finding the natural rhythms of the community and being a part of it. If you're starting a church, you're focused more on creating a leadership team. Again, do you need leaders? Certainly. But our primary call as followers of Jesus is not to build leaders. It's to make disciples. And somewhere along the way, we have forgotten too often in the church starting world that it's not about leadership as much as it's about discipleship. Uh, you're going to market like mad if you're starting a church. So flyers and, and mailers and Facebook ads and Google. And again, does it have its place? Absolutely. Should you do some of it? Absolutely. But I think priority and order is what's important. If you're planting, here's what you're doing. You're picking a fight with something. I love this one. This is my personality. You are looking at the community and you are believing what Jesus said, that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. In other words, the wickedness, the brokenness, and the darkness of this world, we're going to pick some aspect of it and we're going to swing on it. We're going to fight against it. 
whether that's people and human trafficking or whether that's hungry and poor or whatever it is, we're gonna pick one thing in our region, in our area, and we're gonna be a community committed to swinging on that wickedness and evil, on that brokenness and on that hurt. We're picking a fight more than we're marketing. And then lastly, starting churches is so often about just attaining critical mass. You gotta get that 200 at launch day and then you can get above. And here's what sadly begins to happen for so many church plants is that the focus becomes honestly butts and seats, people inside of a building. And that's never been the heartbeat of God. The heartbeat of God has always been to go. And when our focus is only on people in a room, we miss that the heartbeat is so much bigger than that. It is about the world knowing Jesus which means that our heartbeat and our strategy has to be, we do everything that we did on this list. We pray, we focus on the gospel, we enter rhythms of community, we make disciples, we pick a fight, and then we move on to the next opportunity that God gives us. Does it matter when people come? Absolutely. But it cannot matter so much that our primary focus is on people in a building and not people in this world. So it's important when you look at distinction because distinction reveals heart and it reveals strategy. Even though you go planting, starting, eh, it's not really that big of a deal. It's a tremendously big deal. I, I even want to ask this for just a minute. Any of you that would be in here or watching online that would say that to any degree or another, Kensington has benefited your life, your spiritual journey, your marriage, you as a person, that Kensington has had any impact on you, do this for me. If you're online, just give us a thumbs up. If you're in the room, would you just take a minute and just stand to your feet? If this place, this church, this community has had any impact on your life to the positive. I mean, that's pretty powerful. Look around. And this isn't even the tip of the iceberg. God has done over 30 years an unbelievable work through you and this community. And it's really the result of the fact that three men 30 years ago, Steve, Mark, and Dave, all said yes when God said go. And hear me, while you're still on your feet, it was not because of the power of Steve, Mark, and Dave. It was because of the power of the commission to go. They were just faithful to say yes. And it is the same invitation you and I have been given to go with the same power at hand. Go ahead and have a seat. I wanna show you in just the last couple minutes I have with you where this all really started the first time that I think Jesus began to indicate that his method for reaching the world would be church planning. It's back in the book of Matthew where we were at earlier, chapter 16. This is Jesus having a conversation with his disciples in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Still others, even Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, what about you? Who do you say I am? So obviously Jesus at this point is gathering a reputation and there's all kinds of questions swirling about who he is and, and, and the range is broad. It's everything from a dead prophet come back to life to, to a complete con man. And here's this moment where I think you cannot miss that he turns to his disciples and asks them. He's like, okay, that's what everybody else thinks. What do you think? And here's why I think this is important. Because there's probably a temptation for some of you right now, or maybe just even a reality, that some of you are wondering why in the world you came to church today. You're like, this one isn't really for me, because I'm not even sure what I think about God, let alone if Jesus is God. Or maybe for some of you, you've ventured a little bit down that road so far, but you're still kind of going, I don't know, I don't have enough of this figured out that I really get it or get Jesus. And so I'm not sure if like church planting and starting other places and other churches is really where I'm at right now because I've got a lot of things to still figure out. Listen, don't miss this. 
Who's he asking, who do you think that I am? He's asking his disciples. Wouldn't you assume that by the nature of the very fact that they are his disciples, it's because they've already answered that? Like, they're the disciples of Jesus. One could easily assume they're only his disciples because they've already clearly identified who he is. Here's why I think this is so important. Jesus' invitation was never, go figure everything out, go figure me out, then come follow. Then come have the impact I made you for. It was follow. That was his invitation. With all of your doubts, with all of the mystery, with all of your questions, with all of your frustrations, follow. And as you do, we're going to figure this out. And I will do unbelievable things through you. I don't ever want anybody to think that you've got to get it all figured out before you follow or all figured out before God wants to do incredible things in you and through you. It wasn't true with his disciples. Half of them at this point weren't really sure who he was and they figured a lot of it out as they continued to walk with him. And I think God makes that same invitation to us. And so, so Peter, who's typically the spokesman of the group, he speaks out when Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered him, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you this, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, here's what's so important about this moment is that I think that Jesus' invitation is the same to all of us. It's come, it's follow me, it's don't worry, you don't have to have it all figured out. But as you begin to understand and answer more and more clearly who Jesus is, it has unbelievable impact and bearing on what we begin to understand the importance, the significance, and the mission of this place is. And so Peter says, you're, you're God, you're him. You're it. And as he begins to answer back, here's what's so interesting is that Jesus, in his response, he gives more than just indication to the future of Peter's life. He gives indication to the future of this movement that is at, at this point, at its earliest days. And he's very clear on two things. Number one, it's going to grow. And number two, it will be this movement captured in the church that will be the very power that stands against the gates of hell itself. I mean, this is it. Jesus says in one sentence alone, he sums up, it will be my church that will be the method for transforming this world and bringing my message to all corners of it. And so then as Peter answers, and he says, well, here's who I think you are, that has more than just impact on his and Jesus' relationship. That's also where it begins to pull in the implications of the impact that he's going to have through the church. Jesus says, correct, I am, and you will be the one that I start to build this whole thing off of. He says, you will be the one through which that I spawn this entire movement. Here's what's so important, I think, not to miss. Church planting is and has always been God's idea. This is not Kensington's idea. This is not our idea. This is God's idea. Now, one of the thoughts that we could have when we talk about church planning, and if you go back to last week when we talked about the personal responsibility that God has given us to go and tell, is you go, well, why don't we just do that? Like, why isn't what God asks us to do is just in our own personal circles? You remember last week, if you were with us, if you weren't, what we did is I used a fishing pole because there was one point where Jesus went to this group of fishermen and literally said, here, paradigm shift, I'm gonna transform you into fishers of men. And so we used a fishing pole because that's literally what God says. And he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you how to do this, casting that line, but you're gonna start doing it with men. You're gonna start casting that invitation for men and women to come to me. And so we use like the fishing pole, but here's the reality. How many fish do you catch with one pole? 
It's not a trick question. One, right. Let me tell you why church planting and not just the personal commitment to go in your own circle. How many fish can I catch with this? A lot more than one. Here's a simple reality. A person committed to reaching people will never catch as many people as a community committed to reaching people. It's not that one is more important than the other. God has given us the personal instruction to go, but he has also called us to go as a community. And people committed to reaching people will always reach more people than a person committed to reaching people. And let me show you why I think that's so important for us to embrace. I'm gonna put a graph up right now on the screen for a minute. Kind of a a trend of essentially the the growth of human population from the time that we can trace back to where there were maybe numbers to estimate and some to actually start to count. So here's, here's essentially what we're looking at. This is from the earliest time that we can either kind of guesstimate or actually have numbers, the the population trend in humanity, which you can see for the most part is pretty flat line. This is not a successful company up until recently. This is very flat line. You've got some peaks and you've got some valleys, but for the most part, we guesstimate that over the majority of human history, the world population hovered around 500 million people. Here's what's interesting. Things began to change around 1300. That's when you started to see the first time a noticeable trend of increase in the population. It was just under 2%. From 1955 to 1975, it jumped again to just over 2%. So you can see that for the most part, human history hasn't had much of a spike in the population. 1990 to 2010, the world population grew by 30%. Current estimates put us in the next 50 years at 10 billion people on the planet. 10 billion. When Jesus gave the Great Commission to his disciples, it's estimated there were probably about 300 million on the planet. The average of human history is about 500 million. In the next 50 years, we're going to have 10 billion people on the planet. And I don't know if you're like me, but like millions, billions, I'm like, I don't even know how to get my head around that. Some of you are like, I do, I failed at math. So here you go, I'm gonna give you a way to think about it. If you are one million seconds old, any guesses how old you are? You're a million seconds old. 11 days. If you are one billion seconds old, you're 32 years old. So for most of human history, there was about 500 million people on the planet. Presently, We're on track in the next 50 years to have 10 billion. Here's why I think that's so important. When Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples and said, go into all the world, he did not give them the responsibility to reach 10 billion people. He gave that to us. He gave that to us. That's a responsibility he has put into our lifetime, into our day. Last week, I reminded us all of a verse in the Bible where we are told to run the race that is marked out for us. This is part of the race uniquely marked out for this time in human history where God has allowed more people on the planet than ever before have existed that are in need of knowing that he exists. There is unbelievable potential, but an unbelievable amount of work. And it won't get done without a net. That's why church planning I want to give you one more picture before I bring it to a close this morning that for me as the director of church planning being one of the hats that I wear here, this has become a pretty critical picture for me of what the heartbeat is behind church planning and why. Because I think about one of the incredible things in the Bible is that before there was ever a church to plant, Jesus started giving us a picture of church planning. 
In the Old Testament, there's a book called Samuel, 2 Samuel. You have your Bible flipped there. 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 9, verse 1. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? So really quick, for some of us that may, don't, may not know this part of the Bible, this story, David is king of Israel. Previous king was Saul. That's who he's referencing. Is there anyone from the lineage of Saul that I can show kindness to? Now here's what's interesting. That's not normal. Typically what a king would do if he asked if there's any descendants of the previous king that's still alive, what is he asking for? To kill him, right? right? Not to mention the fact that, frankly, David and uh, Saul were not close friends. They were certainly not BFFs. Throughout the course of their life, they warred with one another. Saul repeatedly attempted to kill David. Uh, David even at one point had Saul in his hands, but decided, wait, this is God's appointed person. I'm not going to do this. I am not the one that takes vengeance, so he didn't do anything. But there's tons of conflict. So we're not even talking about somebody that he has a good history with. But even more so, this is the previous king. You, You don't show kindness to the king's descendants. You want them gone because they could come and threaten your kingdom, threaten your throne. They could war against you. So David does what's revolutionary here, what's uncommon to the day. And he says, find me a descendant of the previous king that I can show him kindness. And here's what happens. There was a servant of Saul's house. His name was Ziba. And they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. And the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered him, there is the son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Well, where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Mekur, the son of Emil in Lodabar. And so David had him brought to his own house. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to him to pay him honor. And David said to him, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. What's Mephibosheth expecting at this moment? Death. Verse 7, do not be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you the kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Here's what I love, is that where any other king would have extended a sword... David extends the table and says, literally, you're going to sit at my table from now on. You are the son, the grandson of my enemy, but you will dine with me. You'll have community here. You'll have safety here. You'll have provision here. Here's what I love about that is I think, like I said a minute ago, before God ever gave us a church to plant, he gave us a church planting mission, and I think you see it here. This is what is at the heartbeat of planting churches. It is extending the table of God and inviting more and more people to sit at it. Here's what we do when we plant churches. We literally make the table bigger. And it's an invitation for more and more people to come sit, to find community, to find safety, to find provision, to find love, to find their creator, to find Jesus. This is why we plant churches. There is a world that is in desperate need of Jesus more than ever before. With nearly 10 billion people on this planet, almost 41% of this planet has little to no access to the gospel. This is how we change that. So I wanna take a minute and bring up a couple of people that are some of my favorite people. They are church planners. 
So I'm gonna have them come up and share a little bit of their story. They're planting in the area here. And I just want you to get a picture, not just from me talking about it, from them who are actually in the front lines who are doing it. So would you just welcome them as they take the stage? So this is Jason and this is Aaron, and I'm just gonna step out of the way and let you guys introduce your families and tell us about yourself and what it is that God's called you to do. Sure, well, good morning, Kensington Church. Morning, uh, my name is Aaron Hicks. This is my wife, Sheena. Uh, this is our son, Evan, and our daughter, Alyssa. We have the privilege of planting a brand new church in the Down River area in Romulus called Rise Church. Well, Rise is an acronym. Uh, the R is to, we exist to reach people far from God, by introducing them to a new life in Jesus Christ, serving humanity in the community and equipping people to do the same. Well, Romulus is in desperate need of a life-giving church there. Uh, a little bit about the city is two-thirds of the population of Romulus is unchurched or has not had a connection with the gospel of Jesus. So what better place to plant a church than in Romulus? Well, a little bit about Romulus, it's like a donut. Smack dab in the middle of the city is the airport, and the city feels disconnected depending upon what quadrant of the city you're in. So we just believe that God is doing something fresh, new, and amazing to bring all of the people of Romulus together under the cause of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, a little bit here about, a little bit more about Romulus is that you've got two types of houses. Uh, you've got single family houses, and you've got warehouses. That's pretty much it in Romulus. Uh, everything you do, all your shopping, groceries, all the above, you have to go outside of the city. So we want to bring that back to have a place here where people can get exposed to the gospel of Jesus, but then can stay right in-house to have that happen. Uh, here, here's a little bit of a win for us. As we've uh, continued to talk with the mayor and uh, the Romulus High School principal, we've started infiltrating our message, but learning more about the community needs and the strong desires of the city. Well, um, as mentioned in one of the videos earlier, uh, the journey of a church planter in COVID is absolutely crazy. It's nuts. Uh, typically, when you're trying to gather, you look for a facility to rent or a place where you can have worship services. Well, due to COVID, a lot of that's changed. So so as we were looking for a place to gather and come together, we were praying about what God wanted to do in this place. And uh, we, we were looking at buildings, but there was a lot of closed doors there. And we started feeling led like God wanted to do something unique in the city as a church plant. And uh, we came across this land, and I just felt like God wanted to do something special there. And so we prayed about it, prayed about it, and then I, I finally worked up the nerve to reach out to uh, this property manager who um, had this land. Well, one thing about Romulus is that ever since Amazon came in, all of the land around it has been bought up by property management companies, which has caused the property uh, prices to skyrocket. So here I am, fully terrified, fully afraid, but then also full of faith that God would do something amazing. And I wrote an email to the CFO and said, hey, uh, we're a church plant. We want to do something great for the city. And we began to outline our vision of what a new life-giving church in this city could do. And about one hour later, I received a phone call, and it's from the property manager of that land, and they say, yes, we want to partner with you, and we're interested in donating this land to, to further advance the gospel. So we're really excited. Thanks. 
So now we're just really excited about what God is doing because our first launch date is October 10th. So if all this stuff is happening now, we're just looking forward to the great things that God is going to do there. So thank you so much for having us today, share a little bit of our story, and uh, we look forward to seeing what God's going to do soon. Awesome. Man. Aaron, thanks for sharing, man. That's awesome. Hey, my name is Jason Lowe, and this is my, my beautiful bride, Laura. We got three young kids, eight, 10, and 11, Landon, Charlotte, and Aiden. Uh, man, and we've been, we've been going. Union Flint has been going for three months now. Uh, God's been doing some super, awesome. super awesome things. So cool. And you know, our, our mission uh, is to bring healing to a broken city by developing gospel-advancing leaders so that the hope of Flint transforms every corner of Flint Township. And, and we believe that God... Is, is calling us to, that, that corner to start with uh, is the, the local elementary school, the educational system. And we really wanna see generational impact, mm-hmm. knowing that as we bring the hope of Jesus to these, to these young kids, that as they grow up knowing Jesus, uh, that, that their kids mm-hmm. and their kids' kids would be changed forever by the hope of Jesus. And so we started by uh, developing this partnership with, the, with Randall's Elementary School, the local school right, right near our house where our kids actually go. And, uh, myself and one other guy have been there almost every single day at recess, playing a little flag football, dodgeball, the whole nine yards. Uh, and then a bunch of our uh, people from our church have been adopting staff members, just building relationships, writing little encouraging notes, buying them gift cards. Uh, and actually this last Thursday, we invited the entire staff uh, to our church, come share a meal with us. Uh, and, and honestly, there's a whole mess of them that have never stepped in the foot stepped a foot in church before and came for the very first time just to share a meal with us, be encouraged. So man, it is awesome just seeing what God's been doing and we know that he is just getting started. Awesome, so cool. And you know, you know what I love about, about what Jason's doing is, so what you guys are doing at Union Flint is not just the, the uniqueness of your intentionality to partner with the school, but you're meeting on Thursdays instead of Sundays, which is pretty untraditional, but that's because that you just realize, particularly in your area, that you're gonna have too many people that just don't have access to church because of work and other reasons on a Sunday morning, so you put it on Thursday night. Like, I just love, I love the intentionality of it. You, like, everybody needs to have you pray for whatever they need right now, because, like, what in the world? Like, I pray for land, and we got land. Like, I just, I love it. This is why I love hanging out with men and women like this. It just breathes so much fire consistently back into me and keeps me reminded, this, it's not just their job. This is our job. This is what we're called to. So I just, I wanna pray for you guys before we leave the stage and then we're gonna do one last song, just kind of putting into word the heartbeat that is really Jesus' heartbeat, which is the sake of the world that we would embrace this mission. But let me pray for you guys, Father in heaven. I am so thankful uh, for these families that stand up here that represent your passion for the world. God, I'm also just thinking about the reality that if you're gonna destroy anything, the best time to do it is in its infancy. And we just know, God, that there is an enemy. He hates all the work that they are about right now. And in the same way that you have dreams for this church, so does he. And so I pray against his work. I pray against all the things he would do to discourage, even in the early days, especially in the early days. I pray and ask God for your continued passion within them, passion through them, for energy when the days get long, when maybe the fruit doesn't ripen quick enough, for faith when things don't happen in the time frame that maybe they hope it would. God, would you open all the right doors of favor and provision, of opportunity, of influence? God, would you continue to remind them all 
that you, Jesus Christ, are the senior most pastor of the church, and you have promised in your word that the gates of hell will not prevail against the community committed to you and to this world. And so, God, I pray that you would give them everything they need in their person, in their families, in their marriages, in their leadership teams, in the disciples around them, that they would continue to go with passion and determination and commitment, hope and belief that they are called by you and sent by you. And as they respond, that they would be the tree branch that falls and that more than they could ever possibly ask or imagine would be the response to their obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
I just got a text when I was standing in the back that they're counting up the coins in K-Kids right now, and they've already reached 300. So K-Kids just planted a church in India. That's awesome. That just happened. On your way out, a couple of things. Number one, Ryan, uh, Jason and Aaron are gonna be at a table out in the lobby next to our hub. So I would love you to go by and just visit for a minute. Even if you just run by and high five them, just encourage them. Trust me, they're gonna need it. Church planning is hard work. But maybe for some of you, it's beyond just encouraging. Maybe there's a stir. I would love to challenge you to think about going with them, helping them out. Or maybe you know somebody in the Romulus area or the Flint area and you wanna connect them and say, hey, I know somebody. Like maybe part of the reason that they're here today and you're here today is God's trying to establish something. But if he's moving in you to go, don't hesitate. Maybe you need to find yourself being a part of what they're doing and helping and going in that way as well. Whatever it looks like, I just love to have you go out there, encourage them at least, and maybe investigate if there's something more God's got happening. In addition to that, if you're new with us today, I'd love to have you go to the hub before you walk out. We just have a small gift we'd love to give you and just thank you for being here. If you're online and you're new, just checking in and tuning in for the first time, let us know. Again, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, for those of you here in the room with us, we have a prayer team. They're right back here before you walk out. They're here every week for you. If they can love on you, encourage you, pray for you, just listen to you, let them do that before you leave as well. Hopefully the rain holds out and you can enjoy the rest of the day. Hopefully you have an amazing week. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning and for tuning in. And we'll look forward to being with you again next Sunday. Bye. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.